Good morning, my name is David. I'm the pastor of the church. Welcome. Um, what about you? And I hope you are doing well. And I hope for those who are visiting that you won't be put off by the downpour that happened yesterday. It was like that everywhere else. But Trevor Hayes was playing golf in it. <laughs> Crazy or what? Um, but welcome. And we know that when you come to a place like Pitlochry, it's about maybe going back to a place that you've been years ago or it's about getting out of the city it's a, an anniversary it's something special so grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ may it settle with you as you continue your holiday there will be translation happening during it not because I've got a Glaswegian accent but because we have got non-English speakers as well so it's not a murmuring from the sound shall we pray Father, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We meet in the name of Jesus, your Son. We live and move and have our being. And Father, my prayer would be that as we open your word, that you would speak deeply to us, that we would be open to that. You would challenge us, you would build us up, that you would be glorified. I thank you that your word does not return to you not having accomplished what you purposed. May your will be done in this place today. In the name of Christ, amen. I'm going to put up the first slide, which should say Genesis 1. Thank you very much, Rona. And I'm just going to jump right in there. I will have some references on the screen, but not all, so I do apologise. I will go uh, as steadily as I can. If the Bible can't be trusted in the first two chapters, did I put that up there? Yeah. If Genesis is just myth, how can we treat the rest of Scripture as being trustworthy? Good. I it's a great question. Typically, critics of the Bible make their attacks on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, classifying it as myth, nothing to do with um, pre I don't know what the right words are, but prehistory, history, facts. Um, and they do like to target Genesis 1 and Gen Genesis 2 in particular. Why do they do that? Because in these first books of the Bible, in this beginning of the Torah of Genesis, so many other foundational uh, blocks of our faith such as creation, such as the fall, such as sin, such as the certainty of judgment, such as the need for a saviour, such as the introduction to the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we just regard Genesis, in particular chapters 1 and 2, but also including up to chapter 11 as just myth, then the rest of the Bible is not trustworthy. There is so much that is introduced in that um, bookend of, of what we believe ending in Revelation. If we ignore these, the, the Bible becomes unintelligible if we ignore these and just pass over them. We, there is mystery, of course, there is great mystery in these first chapters. Um, I, for instance, find it difficult with the whole creation account. Um, when did God create and by what mode did he create? There's lots of questions in regards to that initial act that we are, are looking at in this first chapter. 
Is it a song? Is there a gap between chapters 1 and 2? Etc, etc, etc. There is lots of mystery and there's lots of beliefs. Fortunately, there are secondary beliefs such as um, young earth creationism, such as old earth creationism, and also theistic evolution. All of these are theories of how God did it, recognizing that there is a creative being behind all of this wonder but there are theories of how it came about. Unfortunately, they're secondary. If I'm honest, I'm probably an old earth creationist. I, but I would add this in, and I read this recently. I've got no problem with God creating the world in six days. None whatsoever. Why? Because he's God. If he can create life, he can do it in six days. I read someone in the last week or two who said, our problem should not be how quickly God created the heavens and the earth, i.e. six days, 24 hours, six days. Our problem should be, why did it take God that long if he is God? So really, although I probably fall into, and I won't die on this one, but I'll fall into old earth creationists, um, I've got no problem with believing that God created it like that. I struggle greatly with evolution, but I've got no problem with uh, uh, anyone who would hold these, because they're secondary. The most important thing is this. There is a creator. There is intelligence. There is purpose to you and to I and to all of this. It's not accident. I ain't no scientist. I'm a man of faith. But this is through understanding. This is not blind faith. This is through a certain amount of research and weighing it up. But I know that there is a creator. I know that his name is Elohim. He's the Lord God, the I am, the beginning and the end. And in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was created, the word of God. And we're going to come to that in a second. So knowing who God is, is very important. And it, I, I want to say this before I look at the text. I think it's incredibly important to know who God is based on the context of when Genesis may have been written. And I'm going to take it that he, it was written by Moses and I'm going to take it that it was written about 1400 BC. Now, I know there are other theories that it's a later, maybe a Babylonian a collation of accounts, but I'm just going to, for sake of argument's sake, just to get beyond that, I'm going for it as this. Israel have come out of Egypt. Um, they have been 400 years in Egypt and their identity has been formed in Egypt. They've been led by Moses. They went through the sea. They're now at Mount Sinai and God has come in blackness and has revealed himself to them and has taught them. And this is one of the uh, products of that. So that's the context for argument's sake. And you might not agree with that, but that's okay. Because I want to say that the book of Genesis is an incredibly pastoral book. I think I put that up there, there. Yeah. Who is God in a foreign land? Let me read, in case I forget. <laughs> Let's read Genesis 1, 1 to 5, just so I, in case I forget to do that and get carried away. And then I'll go on. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We looked at that last week. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, 
let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So I'm contending here right at the beginning, as a context of what I'm going to look at, that Genesis 1, 25 is incredibly pastoral because Israel have come out of a land where their identity has been formed. They've swam in the waters of culture, Egypt, and all of that smorgasbord, mixing bowl that it was. And so when you mention the name God in Egypt, it could mean a multitude of gods who you had to appease and who were capricious. And so Genesis is countering that. All of the Egyptian myths, creation myths, uh, salvation myths, all of that. Moses, in the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 2 through 5, is combating that. That's the context I see it is written into. And now, they've just came from all of that. They're at the mountain of God, the Lord. They're seeing all incredible stuff. Moses is coming down, his face glowing because he's been God's presence. And they get the Ten Commandments and they're getting all the Torah and they're encamped in a certain way and they're about to be led by God into the promised land. And then what they've got to look forward to in the promised land are the Canaanites and all of the other peoples of that land. And what are they into? Creation myths, salvation myths, all sorts of things. So they've come out of the frying pan and they're about to get into the fire when it comes to beliefs. So can you understand my thinking that here God is saying, let me sort out some basic fundamental things that are never changing. I'm going to reveal who I am. I'm going to reveal things out about you and how you are to follow me. Genesis, and, and as I'm saying, 1, uh, 2 through 5 looks into that. And remember, they've got no idea what they're really going to face in there. They presume there's going to be people they're going to have to kick out, armies, but giants? It wasn't until a wee bit later they found out about the giants. All sorts of horrors, um, difficulties, uncertainties are, lay, are, are in front of them. And God is saying, let me just tell you something. And he reveals himself to them. So now Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. It's just some things there uh, to keep me right and maybe for you um, to join along. So I, I'm saying right at the beginning, God reigns over darkness. I may have put in darkness here, but I, I settled for over darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a glorious statement that covers so much. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Possibly the most famous words that have been ever written. And then, down to earth, we get to, chapter, uh, we get to verse 2. Where Moses says, now the earth was formless and empty. You've got this glorious God, creator, uh, form because he's, he's dancing. Uh, he's just doing something very creative. It's wonderful and it's beautiful. And, and there's purpose and there's someone who loves me and, and all of that. And now you get to ground level. And the earth was formless and empty. The Hebrew is tohu and bohu. 
Words that Jeremiah uses in chapter 4, verse 23, the prophet. When he is, speak, he is looking out to, the, to Judah, the southern kingdom, as they are being invaded to be taken into captivity by the army from the north. And uh, Jeremiah looks and uses the exact same thing as he sees the desolation that is in Judah. He says it was formless and empty because of these armies and what they have done to God's beautiful creation. Where is the order of verse 1? We've got emptiness, we've got a wasteland, we've got something that is quite uninhabitable, and it's actually uninhabited until you get to day 6. This is the complete pole opposite day 1 uh, at the beginning of it from day 6. But it's not just information that Moses is looking to state here about uh, God before that first command in verse 3. Moses tells us something quite significant here about Elohim, the creator God. Now notice um, verse 2 we're going to uh, focus in on here. And there's a progression. And it goes... The earth was formless. See how I put a negative there? That's incredibly negative. It was formless and empty. And then you get a progression happening here. And that's why I put a question mark. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now we can get this idea that it was formless and empty and desolate and a wasteland. Some people may use the word chaos. But now we get to this ambiguous, it was there was darkness over the surface of the deep, but there's not any land. What is the surface of the deep? Is it, is it just waters? Is it gases? What, what is this here? So it's quite ambiguous. But then we get this positive, hopeful clause where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What's Moses trying to tell us here about God? I think before this uh, important command, the first command in verse 3, Moses is telling us that everything was dark, but although it was dark and deep dark, it was also promising as well. Critics say that it cannot be literally taken. It's one of these attacks on Genesis. Critics say this can't be taken because it would be impossible for God to create a world of darkness. We, we, we associate everything dark as being evil and it is a, a metaphor that's used throughout scripture. So critics say, no, 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 this, this is Hebrew myth, ancient myth, because God is a God of light. He does not create darkness. But you would be wrong in that. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7 says this, and there are other places, but here's one or two. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. An old young earth creationist and, and author and theologian called Henry Morris writes this. God did not create light for he is light. It was the primeval darkness which he created in order to have a division between day and night. I'll say that again because that's quite a lot in there. God did not create light for he is light. 
It was a primeval darkness which she created in order to have a division between day and night. It's important to state here as well, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, we are talking about the physical stuff here. We're not talking about the heavens where God resides. And although we sometimes talk about the heavens and the celestial bodies, here at creation we're talking about everything that is physical. We may say from the Big Bang onwards, if we're going with that theory, God has always been existing in everlasting light because he himself is light. The Bible even says that God sometimes veils himself in darkness while he waits to reveal himself. In, in Deuteronomy um, chapter 4, 11, and this is at Mount Sinai, Moses said the mountain was with black clouds and in deep darkness. Deep darkness, not just darkness. And that's where God was. And that later on in chapter 5, verse 23, God's people heard his voice out of the darkness. As he hides, as he removes himself from their presence. Psalm 18, 9 and 11. The psalmist then it says that dark clouds were under God's feet and that God made darkness his covering when he came down to meet him. So the darkness was over the, the face of the deep. I think is one way of Moses describing the primeval wasteland of the earth. But he's also saying this, that God is hidden his hidden presence is there too. As his spirit hovered. He's moving back and forth. The, the ruach of Elohim. The breath, the spirit of the living God is hovering. And in Deuteronomy we read this about this hovering. The exact same word. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them aloft. Here we have the third person of the Trinity hovering, waiting from the command in verse 3 of the Lord God to create. In the darkness, God is waiting. In the darkness, God is watching, but he's ready for action. In the wasteland, hidden, waiting, I think, to reveal himself, uh, to bring life. Because although he's sometimes hidden, it doesn't mean he's asleep. It doesn't mean he's absent. But it means he's awake, he's working, he's caring, he's preparing. He's longing to bring fullness of life. Think about yourself. You have got dreams and aspirations of your own life. Let me just pick on uh, Neil and Rachel. They were here last year to check out the church. They had a thought. Maybe we could move to Pitlochry. But a, a year is a long time to wait. In some respects, maybe not enough time when it comes to selling homes, etc. But there's a longing they had to be here, wondering, Lord, are, you, are, you, are our children to grow up with a lovely, sweet Scottish accent? <laughs> and we all have stuff like that. Waiting long, when, Lord? Oh, how long, Lord? Why, Lord? What's this darkness all about? Where are you, Lord? Moses is saying the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep darkness, waiting. Like an eagle ready for its young to come out the nest so that he can lift it up high. Because we, we, we cannot prepare for every contingency. Jesus actually says, in this world you will have trouble. 
It's par for the course. And for those of us who make it through the course, we can look back and see the faithfulness of God. We can see the dark valleys. We can see the moments of euphoria. We can see what we've written in our journals. And we can see where we've came from. But there was great uncertainty. But eyes of faith, hoping, trusting that God is with us all the way through that. And so what do we do if we're in that place? I need to come back to this. We need to remember that Jesus, the, th the second person of the Trinity, the word of God, descended into darkness for us. Jesus willingly walked into the pitch blackness of the wrath of God so that the Father's will may be done. Jesus descended into darkness so that we may no longer need walk in despair but have newness of life. How is this possible? Because of Jesus. How is such a mystery? Yep. But it's because of Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, yes, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's not smart, it's not safe to walk through a dark valley alone. It's not smart for God's people to go from Sinai into the promised land and not know who their God is and not know that there is hope and there's purpose and that they can know him. So they were taught this is the beginning that I think anyway of Genesis chapter 2. Here's verse 3, and I'll be a little bit shorter with this. He reigns by his word. At the beginning, the means of creation was through the word of God. Here's the command. Verse 3, and God said. That verb sets the tone for the rest of the chapter and for the Bible. And God said. When God says, it is done. Nothing returns to him having not accomplished what he set out. Many of us can kick and scream, resist, and you probably could resist the Lord all the way until you give your last react to, the, to, to God. Of course you could. But it's not his plan, his purpose, or his desire. And God said, the verb sets the purpose for the rest of the Bible. For the word of God is the most powerful force in the universe. When God speaks, things happen. Look at the rest of verse 3. And God said, and there was. It happens. In the New Testament, in Hebrews in particular, we learn that through the Son of God, through the Son, God created the heavens and the earth. And that the Son of God sustains all things by his powerful word. In John 1.3 we're told that through him, that's Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has... Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So we're learning here from the New Testament that the word of God has a name. And the name is Jesus. The word of God not only created, but according to the Father's plan, the word of God redeemed. And the same God who made you redeems you through Jesus. So I just want to briefly point that out and say that and remind us. Obviously, God's people, they're marching into the promised land, did not name the word of God. 
did not know the name of the word of God. It's only us now, at this side of the resurrection, know his name is Jesus. In the past, God spoke through our fathers at various times and in various ways. But in these last times, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was made. And the third point I just wanted to bring out, he does reign in light. In the first day of creation, God spoke light into the darkness and there was light. Light, that, that first um, creative command order uh, is the step from disorder to order. God spoke, light came, and there was order. Without light, there is no order. Without Jesus, there is only darkness. In him was life, and that life was a light for all mankind or humanity. Look at verse 4. I think it's interesting that um, God says that only the light, not the darkness, was good. And it's true, we prefer not to be in darkness. For in, I've been in Pilocri 16 years, but I'm still a townie. And at night time, I take great comfort in the soft orange glow of streetlights. When I visit friends in farms, I don't like the darkness. Yeah, the lights are lovely. But I've got all sorts of zombies in my mind and vampires and all sorts of rubbish <laughs> of all the rubbish I've watched over the years. I'm very comfortable with his light. I'm not that comfortable when his pitch darkness, when people say you should eat more carrots, when people say your eyes will get used to it. The truth is, I prefer the light uh, to the darkness. And the truth is, chaos reigns with power at night time. There's a reason why humanity, only up until recently, and definitely still in other parts of the world, feared the darkness. Because it was at darkness that the enemies came. It was at darkness when the wild animals came. Watch any movie that's about space travel and going back to the time of dinosaurs, and darkness is a scary place. I think there's a lot of truth in him, and a truth in that. But verse 5 says this, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. What will people go through to catch a good sunrise? They'll forgo sleep, they'll go for long walks, they'll get out of the city, they'll climb a mountain just so that they can see a sunrise. It's possibly too bold, but I'm going to say it, that every morning, every sunrise, day one of creation is repeated. A bit bold, I know, but there's something just about that seeing it come up and the glory and the beauty. And there was there was day, there was night, the first day creation. And it's interesting that the Bible, the story of the Bible, the narrative of the Bible ends in the same way that it begins with no sun but only the light of God and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. There is no sun. There is no sea. And there's other things that we could say about oceans and seas, but there is no sun, only the light that comes from the main source, and that is God. Revelation 22, verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus, the light of the world. 
precedes all the celestial bodies that were created in day five. And he will outlast them. Why? Because he is the everlasting one. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is who we worship. This is part of the reason why we're doing this little series in Genesis. The world can't even agree what truth is. What do we think what truth is? Are we bold enough? Do we have a foundation? We make lots of decisions about our life. And I'm not saying we need to go to scripture and verse every single time we want to step out the front door. Every time we make some sort of decision that's significant. But do we, with all conviction, say that we are following in the dust of Jesus, our Saviour, our Master? That we are doing this and doing that because, and then are able to go to scripture and say, this principle has always been in scripture. This is the truth of the bib of biblical uh, doctrine of creation. There's all sorts of pressures on us today as we raise our children to know what we believe. There is great darkness. There's great chaos. There is lack of truth. Whatever truth is. Genesis is unbelievably important for us if we would only mine it. Go over it again and say, what is this saying? And can I find this elsewhere in scripture? Does this start at the beginning and go to the end? Therefore, what does it mean for me? What have the church always understood about these things? Much brainier men and women than you and I who have mined scripture and tradition and been led by the Spirit of God. And it's been the canon of our belief ever since. Only now, in our generation, do we find that which has been universal is now on the sidelines, is now considered as bigotry, is now considered as, oh, so last year. Orange is the new black. That is why we're going through Genesis. And here we find a, a, a God who hovers, desiring to bring order out of disorder, who is creative and who is always with us, who has revealed himself as the, the Father who speaks, the Spirit who is creating and hovering by the Word of God, by Jesus. The Trinity is encapsulated in the first few verses of Scripture. And it continues, he continues to be seen throughout Scripture. Oh, I'm going to stop there because I go on and on and on and I can't. Shall we pause? There's a thousand things I've said. I'm going to pray and we'll see where we go. But let's pause. And Father, I ask whatever is racing through our minds, whatever is racing through our hearts, whether it's numb, whether it's burning, that you would meet us there in those thoughts. Hover, Holy Spirit, and bring some clarity to the things that I have said. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you speak deeply into our hearts? Would you reveal scripture? And we confess that Jesus is our sole authority in all matters of life and faith and practice, and it is revealed in your word. So would you bring again to mind things that have been said this morning that you 
are, are so wanting to speak into our lives or remind us of things that we hold on to and a longing through the valley to see come about that we would not give up hope but constantly look to you look to you as the one who brings hope and that we can trust in thank you father when you say it happens your will will be done on earth as it is in the heavens come lord jesus come lord jesus in our midst and our lives your mercy is more our sins are so many, but your mercy is more. I invite you in this moment to confess your sins. Confess your hardness of heart. Confess the anger or apathy, whatever it may be. Or maybe speak to the Lord and say, Lord, I feel numb. I am grieving. Where are you, Lord? I invite you in the silence to come before the living God with your own thoughts in the silence and prayer and let him know because he wants to know. And Father, would you by your spirit bless us? Would you fill us afresh? Would we know your anointing and the honor of being blessed by you? You have always been faithful to me. I worship you. I praise you, O Lord.